You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The DNC hack was discovered by the U.S. intelligence community last year. The FBI has high confidence Russian services were behind it. Concerns about election and other infrastructure hacking rise. More point-of-sale systems are compromised by the Carbonac gang. Cyber criminals offer a new financial malware kit, and ransomware gets picky over whom it hits. The cybersecurity labor market is complex, but talent remains in demand. The Olympics see both cybercrime and patriotic hacktivism. How safe are ICS and SCADA systems? Industry expert Robert M. Lee weighs in. And Pokemon gets kicked out of the Pentagon. We think they all went to Crystal City. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, August 12, 2016. Sources close to the investigation of the Democratic National Committee hack and related intrusions into the U.S. political party's networks say the FBI has high confidence that the Russian government is behind the incidents. The investigation has been going on for longer than the DNC's been aware it was hacked. Reuters reports that U.S. intelligence officials told the Congressional Gang of Eight about the espionage last year. They said back then it was a spearfishing attack, which still seems likely enough. The slow disclosures coming from the investigation are prompting two reflections from observers. First, this comes mostly from the security industry, there seems to be a lot of interest in influencing the U.S. elections, whether by hacking or by more widespread information operations. Second, and this comes mostly from the foreign policy establishment, this can't be good news for Russian-American relations. Forbes reports that the same cyber gang who hit Oracle's Micro's point-of-sale system has also been discovered in compromises of five other cash register vendors, SIN7, ECRS, Navy Zebra, Par Technology, and Uniwell. It's thought that the gang is Russian, the same operators behind Carbonac, and that more than a million point-of-sale devices are affected. Several new developments in the criminal economy are worth noting. Bleeping computer and malware bytes are tracking an evolution of the familiar tech support scam. You know the kind. Someone calls you and tells you they're usually from Microsoft Tech Support, that your computer's been infected with a virus and that they need to take control of your machine to clean it up. In this case, you're the one who does the calling. A screen comes up that emulates a Windows activation screen, then persistently nags you to call and pay for your activation key. So far, rebooting seems to get rid of them, but they may get better. Malwarebytes can detect and clean the infestation. 
Heimdall Security reports on a crook-to-crook vendor going by the name Others. It's not clear whether Others is one or many. Others is, or are, selling what he, she, or they are billing as the next Game Over Zeus. It's a financial crime kit called Silex, and it can be purchased for $7,500. And Kaspersky describes a new version of the Shade ransomware, it's also known as Trolldesh, that comes bundled with a rat, a remote-access Trojan. So far, Shade has mostly affected businesses in Russia and the near abroad, that is, the former Soviet states. The rat is the new wrinkle. It's apparently there to help the criminals confirm that the infected business is solvent before they expend too much effort in holding files for ransom. There's no margin in blackmailing bankrupts. Looking back on the week that's now coming to an end, we've seen some market turbulence in the cybersecurity sector and even some layoffs, notably the 400 jobs FireEye cut. We should note two things here. First, a lot of talented people were caught up in the FireEye layoffs, and given the notorious shortage of skilled workers in the sector, we trust they'll be given a look. Second, there are a lot of jobs to be filled, so if you're looking for a position in the industry, you're probably going to find yourself in a seller's market. Later in the show, we'll hear from Robert M. Lee, CEO of Drago Security. He has some advice for transitioning military personnel interested in a cybersecurity career. Concerns about the leak from Microsoft of the secure boot Golden Key persist. The CyberWire heard from Ray Rothrock, CEO of Red Seal, a company that specializes in cybersecurity resilience. Rothrock noted that Microsoft is working on a third patch for the issue, and he advised, quote, Every network administrator and every Windows device owner should not only apply all three patches, but also run analytics to see if their networks and devices have already been compromised, and if so, how vulnerable the high-value assets on their networks, business plans, customer information, credit card numbers, financial reports, are to being hacked, end quote. The secure boot issue, he says, makes every Windows device on your network a potential avenue of compromise. ISIS and its information operations remain a matter of perennial concern. Studies describe how the terrorist group's promise of meaning and transcendence transform petty criminals, particularly disaffected men in the Dar al-Harb, into willing fighters. And some close to the hacking world think Anonymous might do well to eavesdrop on ISIS networks as opposed to shutting them down through DDoS attacks. That may prove a hard sell. DDoS is relatively easy and gives immediate gratification. Eavesdropping is slower and, at least for anonymous adherents, smacks too much of snitching. The Olympics are in the home stretch. Cyber criminals in Brazil have made their mark. Strategic Cyber Ventures' Tom Kellerman told NBC News it's the equivalent of an industrial revolution in Brazil with respect to cyber capabilities. Terbium tells the CyberWire they've seen considerable criminal chatter and traffic related to the Olympics on the dark web this week, and incidentally some early evidence of what might be a new Yahoo breach. We'll follow up as we learn more. Anonymous had earlier protested the Olympics with attacks on some Brazilian government sites, but the latest hacktivist operation comes out of China. Swimming Australia's site was subjected to a denial-of-service attack after Australian medalist Mac Horton dismissed his Chinese rival, Sun Yang, as a doper and a cheater. This seems, most observers think, to be a genuine cyber riot by patriotic Chinese hacktivists and probably not the work of the People's Liberation Army. Finally, will someone stop the Pokemon Go madness? Earlier this week, MI6 had to tell the double O's not to chase Pokemon inside the service's headquarters. Now it's the U.S. Department of Defense making the Pentagon off-limits to Pokemon. 
So troops, at ease. Keep your noses clean and your hands off the Pikachu. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm joined once again by John Lisa Bauer. He's the CTO at Quintessence Labs. Uh, John, when it comes to security, there are issues with redundancy and replication, things to consider with those. What can you tell us about that? To many people, uh, security means confidentiality, authentication, and non-repudiation. We immediately start thinking about cryptographic algorithms, things like AES, RSA, elliptic curves, and we perhaps also think about protocols like IPsec and SSL. But security also means availability of information. It means protecting against loss of information. And this means that we need to consider backup, redundancy and replication of that information. Uh, This is especially important with key management systems. It's easy to see that if I have a disk full of information encrypted with a single key, and if I lose that key, I've also lost that disk full of information. Even if the encrypted information itself has been backed up, the key is lost or damaged in the original data, and all the backups are also lost. So is this simply a matter of of regular backups, or is there more to it than that? Well, it's tremendously important to to back up information and building, deploying, or selecting a key management system to ensure that there's sufficient redundancy in place to maintain system availability, both normal operations and also replication for backup purposes. Imagine I have two key management nodes that are deployed. Uh, each backing each other up. When a new key is generated on one node, it'll be replicated to the other node, ensuring there's always at least one backup copy of the key. Now consider those perhaps two different modes of replication, um, what I'd call asynchronous and synchronous modes. If a client requests the server to create a key 
and the server returns the key to the client before copying it to the backup server is called asynchronous replication. It's fast. The client doesn't have to wait for the key to be copied, but it has a fatal failure mode. If the key replication process fails for any reason, and that could be like a network going down or the backup node is offline, or even the node that creates the key originally has to be offline for maintenance, which just breaks, then if the original node loses or corrupts that key, there's no backup. So we've potentially lost the information on the client. The other mode of replication as opposed to asynchronous is synchronous mode. In this mode, the server that creates the key waits until the key has been safely replicated to the backup node before providing the key to the client. This guarantees that there will always be at least one copy of the key. It's a much safer mode of operation, but it introduces latency into delivery of the key to the client. So we have this, this trade-off between latency and safety of the key. All right. Always things to balance. John Lisabar, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO and founder of the critical infrastructure cybersecurity company, Drago Security. Prior to that, he spent time in the U.S. Air Force and the intelligence community. I asked him to give us some background on ICS SCADA systems. Industrial control systems have been around for, for decades. Um, control systems themselves have been around you know, since Egyptian times. And they've always had the focus of controlling some physical component. You know, Automating part of the world has been our big push, industrial automation. The intent was never to plug these things up to the Internet, uh, to be pulling off data into large databases for business purposes. They were supposed to be segmented systems. So security was an afterthought. If you couldn't actually reach the system if they were all segmented. You didn't really care about the security of the software. But business demands have changed over time. And as companies try to get more efficient and try to return more value to the stockholders and the company executives, uh, there's a push to get more and more data out of these environments. And so from your point of view, where are the areas of most concern? Uh, so from an industry perspective, the, the ones that always get the most amount of attention are things like the power grid, um, which I think obviously is very important. We don't want uh, folks messing around the power grid. But there are other industries that just don't have the same level of national focus, but are also extremely important, like water industry is an example. If you go to a, an energy control center that controls a portion of the U.S. power grid, you'll find that they're doing a pretty good job. You know, we definitely need to take security more seriously. We need to increase the budgets and, and work harder at it. But overall, uh, they've really been raising the bar over the year. Go to your average water utility, though. They just don't have the budgets and folks to do that. 
So from an industry perspective, I would just say that we're very lopsided. We start seeing a lot of different places that are using control systems that as industries go, uh, haven't been as secured as some. What are the take-homes for you? What are the things that, that you think it's most important for people to know when it comes to this stuff? A couple key things. Number one, we most certainly need more people in the industry. There's different classes out there. There's plenty of resources online. You can do it for free. There's, you know, buy some eBay equipment. Tons of way to get in this community um, and to do it responsibly without any sort of hype or, or false resumes. Number two, we need more visibility in these environments, both with the people to start figuring out uh, what, what kind of threats are we actually up against and what's the potential impact. You know, we don't just need to put more boxes on the network. We need more trained people who will then effectively choose the right solutions or come up with better solutions. Uh, and then number three is sort of a, a, a big takeaway from me is a lot of this is undefined. And from a political perspective, we really need to start getting some definitions and common terminology and some frameworks around this. Uh, the government's constantly talking about critical infrastructure security, but its role is not to deploy National Guard troops into power stations and infrastructure sites. Its role is not to send taxpayer-owned teams to do free assessments. It, it, you know, that's the place of private industry. Its role is to do things around policy and opening up the pathways for these companies to be more protected. These environments have big consequences, and there are real threats out there. But they are also the most defensible environments in the world. When you talk about an energy control station or a substation or a transmission site, you're talking 10, 15, maybe 100 at max IP connected devices. And your, your little control system shouldn't be updating its Facebook status or going to LinkedIn. So these are networks that are easily patternable. They're smaller. They're more static. The difficulty is data collection. But once you actually get the data... These are environments that you can look through pretty quickly. And the adversary has so much more work to do. It's not about identifying a vulnerability and getting access. It's about knowing what to do once you're there. It's physical engineering, not just cyber stuff. And so, again, in my opinion, the adversary has to do more. And the defenders have traditionally, technically, an easier job, even though there's definitely difficulties involved. So I would say we've got issues. We need more people. But these environments are defensible. And, and one day, I think defense is most certainly going to, to succeed in this area. I wanted to address this job shortage that we have in the industry right now and talk, come at that from a couple of different angles. I mean, your experience uh, in the military, what would your advice be for someone coming out of the military who's looking to exploring a career in cyber? Yeah, so I think the, the first thing to do uh, when leaving any job, especially the military, is, is to not rest on your past experience. To realize that you're going to be hitting a completely new area, a new field, and no matter if you were the smartest expert on your old team, maybe you just had a team of folks that weren't necessarily top quality. And I don't want to put anybody down, but I see this where the smartest guy in the room leaves the room and realizes that it wasn't a really good test of their skills. So I think it's very important to be humble. I think it's very important to be passionate and come at the problem very thirsty for knowledge. And I also wouldn't jump into a bunch of paid classes. You know, I, I teach at SANS. I, I think very highly of the SANS classes. But the right approach, in my opinion, is to first start off with a free education. There's so many resources online, YouTube videos, research papers, etc. 
And if you're not willing to sit down and teach yourself something, you're probably also not going to really excel in this industry that's sort of fast moving. Once you get a basis of doing that, then you seek the paid classes, then you seek the professionals. And so you can really take advantage of that time instead of trying to figure yourself out while taking a couple thousand dollar risk. That's Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO and founder of Dragos Security. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.